Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you and your household, you're doing well. As I've said many, many times, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Praise the Lord. Now, yesterday we talked about Samson. Today we're going to talk about another uh, person and a covenant woman, not a man, but a woman. Her name was Rahab. Now, let us read about Rahab or Rahab as we call her in Swedish. In Joshua chapter 2, we read about Rahab. Now, this is when the children of Israel had come out of the wilderness and they had crossed the river Jordan under the leadership of Joshua and they were facing the walls of Jericho. The conquest of Jericho was their first conquest when they entered the promised land. And this is about that. So look at this. It says in Joshua, the son of Nun sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So he sent two spies into Jericho just to get a, an idea of what the situation there was. So they went and came to the house of a harlot, a prostitute called Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So uh, it was evident that the king of Jericho had a pretty good intelligence network. So they knew who was coming in and out of the city. <coughs> I'm sorry. And so they knew that these men were sent by the Israelites to spy out the city. And plus they knew where these men were. And so it says verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So Rahab, instead of handing the men to the king, the spies to the king, she hid them. And so she said, Yes, the men came, men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And... It happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Okay, so what she did, it tells, goes in deep, great details that she hid the man and uh, told, uh, you know, just told them, hide here. It tells us where she hid them. Then she told the king's man uh, that she kind of misled them, told them they have gone out. So they begin to pursue them there. And in verse 9, this is what she said to the spies. She says, I know that the Lord had given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the king, two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God 
He is a God in is a God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Now, this is fascinating. Now, here Rahab, the prostitute, she tells the spies why she's helping them, and this is. Not because of them, but because of their God. This is amazing, because it says she says, "I know that the Lord has given you the land, and terror of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land, everybody, is afraid because of you." So, in other words, everybody in Jericho, including the king of Jericho and Rahab the prostitute, knew. They knew that the Lord had given them this land, okay. And then it says they had even heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, and that was more than I think about fifty years back. Because if you remember, they came out of the wilderness. I mean, sorry, they came out of Egypt, and then you know they were about to enter the land, and then the spies came back with the. Bad report. So they spent forty years in the wilderness. Then they came out of the wilderness and came into the land of Canaan. So safely, it should be at least between forty and fifty years. All right. So let's say it was fifty years. Fifty years. You know that should be plus minus something close to fifty years if we include everything. So they, the people of Jericho, had heard how the Lord fifty years back. Had dried up the Red Sea for the Israelites, and how the Israelites had defeated the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the River Jordan. So they knew, Rahab knew, and everybody else in the city knew two things. Firstly, that the Lord was with them; that God was with them. That was the first thing they knew. The second thing they knew. Was that God had dried up the water of the Red Sea for these people because God had brought them out of Egypt? So they knew all this, and then it says, "And when we heard these things, our heart, hearts melted, and we didn't have any more courage. We were scared. Why?" Verse eleven says, "Because we were convinced. We are convinced that your God, your God." The Lord your God, He is the God of the heavens and of the earth. Now, interesting thing is, everybody in Jericho knew that, but this woman, this prostitute, was the only one who really thought with her head and said, "You know what? Yeah, I'm a smart person. I'm going to follow their God. I'm not going to worship my idols and stick around here, continue with." The status quo. When I know that there is a God out there, I'm going to worship that God because look at the way He has blessed the people of Israel. Look at the way He has been with the people of Israel. How faithful He has been to them, and how He has taken care of them, and given them victory, and delivered them, brought them out of Egypt, even opened up the Red Sea for them. Of course, I want to worship that God. So you would think that when the Children of Israel crossed the river Jordan, came to the gates of Jericho. You would think that the king was a smart man, and he would open 
the gates and he would say, welcome, welcome. You are God's people. We want to join you because we also want to be God's people. We all want to be blessed. But no, they decided to resist and to fight them. What they were thinking, I, I, I don't know. But that is how they're thinking. And that's how a lot of people in the world think this way. A lot of people think this way. I'll never forget that I was in, I, when I was in Ukraine and one night, this was in a place called uh, um, Zaporozhye. I did a crusade in an ice hockey stadium. It was the middle of the winter. And, they, and one night, I mean, we had all these people healed. And there was one night, there was a little boy, I think he was 10 years old. He was wearing thick, thick glasses. His eyes were crossed and he was almost completely blind. He was deaf. He was mute. Plus his feet were not like this, but they're pointing downwards and they were stiff and he had never been able to stand or walk his whole life. And God touched that little boy. His feet straightened out. He got up and began to walk and his eyes straightened out, took his glasses off. He could see perfectly and he could hear and he could speak. And these people were shouting and rejoicing. It was the most amazing thing. And it was just happened like a few yards in front of the platform. And then I suddenly felt someone tugging on my trouser leg. And I looked and here's this young man with this smug, arrogant look on his face. He says, so I bent down. I said, young man, how can I help you? He says, I'm a communist. Show me, prove to me your God exists. Man, when he said that, I lost it. I said, you know what? I said, did you see that little boy? He talked to his parents, asked them, asked them, asked them what God had done for him. I said, you see that and you want me to prove to you that God exists? I was shocked and I really let him have it. I said, listen, young man, God is not going to come down and prove anything to you. He doesn't have to prove anything to you. If you want to reject this evidence, and believe what you believe, you're welcome to do so. God has given you the freedom to do so. But if I was smart, this is what I would do. I said, you need to get, get down on your knees and repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ because if you don't, you are lost. That's all I said and I said, that's all I have to say to you. And you would think that people would understand this. They know after what they know, after what they have heard, but still, I don't know. Many people are that way. Uh, some people, you know, everybody's different. When I first heard the gospel, I heard about Jesus. I, without hesitation, people ask me, how did you become a Christian? Well, I didn't go through a long series of Bible studies. The guy told me about Jesus on the street. I felt in my heart, this is it. And I immediately gave my life to Jesus and I followed Jesus ever since. And I wish everybody would do that because when God touches your heart and your heart comes under conviction or you hear the good news, you hear and you say, you know what? This is true. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. That's the smartest thing to do. Anyway, so Rahab said that, look, we know all this. We know about your God and how 50 years ago he brought you out of Egypt and he even opened up the Red Sea and he's been with you and how God has been with you wherever you have gone and now you've come here. He says, I know that your God is the true God. He is God in heaven above and on earth below. And he says, now I ask you to promise me that you will save me. You will not hurt me or my family. And so the man answered her in verse 14, our lives for yours. 
if none of you tell this business of yours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope to the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall and she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go on your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you made us swear. Unless when we come to the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord, this red cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless, you know, so anyway, what she says that uh, um, what they said to her, that listen, take this rope, this red piece of cord and tie it to the window by the wall to, because she lived right by the, on, on top of the wall. She said, tie it to the window. So when we attack the city, we will see that red piece of rope. So we will know. And it was um, that this is your house. And so, and then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away. And when they departed, then they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. She took that red cord and it tied to that window. So this is what Hebrews 11 verse 31 says about her. By faith, the harlot Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, she did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. So it says that those who did not believe, who refused, were adamant in their unbelief. He says they all perished, but Rahab did not perish. Why? Because she received the spies, the Israelite spies in peace. Now, this is very interesting because obviously Rahab, you know, there was a change in her life. And, uh, and I can give you the proof what happened. She was a prostitute, but when she, her life was spared, she joined the house of Israel. She converted. That's what happened. She became a Jew herself and she married. She got married. She was a prostitute. She was no longer a prostitute. She got married and she had children. And in the gospel of Matthew, when you read the, the lineage, the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in verse 5 in Matthew 1, it says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the son of Rahab, because uh, begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. Can you imagine? Rahab, this prostitute, was the great-grandmother of the greatest king that Israel ever had. David. Now, if you remember um, the story of Ruth, you remember in the book of Ruth, you, rem you, you read about Ruth and Ruth married a call called Boaz. Remember that? Now, Boaz was the son of Rahab. So when Rahab, the prostitute, the ex-prostitute, when she joined the house of Israel, she married a guy called Salmon. And with Salmon, she had a son. And that son, his name was Boaz, and he married this man. Boaz is the famous Boaz who married the famous Ruth in the Bible. And Ruth and Boaz, Boaz, the son of Rahab and his wife, Ruth, they had a son called Obed. And that Obed had a son called Jesse. And that Jesse was the father of King David. Hallelujah. 
So you're talking about redemption, how God can raise up a person from who is a nobody, who is a nothing, who is the most despised of all. The prostitutes are probably, prostitutes are the most despised people, people who are looked down upon. You know, we look at a prostitute, you, people look down on them, despise them. And I know, I know in the Middle East, uh, in India and in those places, if, uh, even if a prostitute is safe. So if you have a prostitute, she gives her life to Jesus and people would say, oh, praise God, a prostitute got saved. But nobody would want their son to marry this former prostitute. No one. Because her whole life she shall carry the stigma that she was a prostitute. But here, Rahab, she got married. She, she chose to follow the Lord, uh, our God, the God of Israel. And not only that, she married and she had a son whose story is in the Bible, Boaz, and she became the great grandmother of the greatest king of Israel, King David. Hallelujah. And then if you continue on in uh, looking, looking at the genealogy of, uh, uh, of David, you'll see in verse 16, uh, you know, it says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So even Jesus comes from the line of Rahab. Can you believe that? Because Joseph, who was, well, Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph, he was the son of God, but Joseph was his natural, recognized as his natural dad, his father, although he was not the biological father. But... Joseph is the one who married Mary, and he's, I don't know, several generations down from Rahab. So you can say that our Lord Jesus was also, in a sense, a descendant of Rahab. So I just want to tell you this, because this is what happens when a person, he, he, he chooses God, chooses the Lord, and enters into that covenant that is available and uh, he, she or he or she joins that covenant and becomes a, a you know, a full, um, a, how can you say, a full member of that covenant and keeps on making those choices and wonderful things come out of that person's life. Hallelujah. So uh, I want you to remember that, again, we talked about the story of Jephthah. There are no illegitimate children. And because every child is loved by God, is created in the image of God. And in the story of Rahab, we don't know why she was a prostitute, what led her to be a prostitute. There's people who have different circumstances in life, but the important thing is what God does in their lives. And God did something wonderful in the life of Rahab so that she became the great-grandmother of the greatest king of Israel ever, King David. The man after God's heart. Anyway, and so now we're going to talk about another, um, you know, um, but this is three men. Three men who are covenant men. And this is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in Daniel chapter 1, uh, chapter 3 from verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold. And then, you know, he put up that big statue of gold and then he dec decreed that at any time, any time you hear the sound of cornet, flute, harp, 
sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and any kind of music, you have to fall down and bow before the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar the king. So you have to bow and worship that image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up of himself. And whosoever does not worship the statue, he shall be thrown into a blazing furnace. That was the, uh, the punishment for those who didn't worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And then what happened? Uh, some Chaldeans, they came and they accused the Jews. And they spake and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You know, you have given this commandment that whenever people hear the sound of music, they have to bow down and worship your image. And he says, and then they said, there are certain Jews, some verse 12, there are certain Jews that you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They were the governors of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O God, they, O king, have not regarded thee because they don't serve your gods, neither do they worship the golden image that you have set up. He says, these men are bad because when they hear the music, they don't bow to your image because they worship, they have their own gods. They don't believe in our gods, neither do they worship you. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and his fury, Nebuchadnezzar got very angry and he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego should be brought to him. Then they brought this man before the king and Nebuchadnezzar and said, spoke and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if it be so that you hear the music, the sound of music and, and, and you don't worship, well then if you don't worship, you shall be cast into this fiery furnace and let us see. Who is this God who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. But if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. And we will not serve, we will not worship your golden image. It says, our God will deliver us. And no matter what you do, we are not going to serve your gods. Neither are we going to bow to your image. Nebuchadnezzar was angry. Oh, he was ticked off. It says he was full of fury. And, and the form of his visage was changed. That means he was so angry, his face was changed. Again, Shadrach, Misham, and Abednego. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. They, he commanded that the furnace should be heated seven times than it was heated regularly. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their clothes and their hats and in the other garments and they were cast into the middle of the furnace. And then it says, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of fire killed those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It says that the 
furnace was so hot, seven times hotter than usual, and he ordered his strong soldiers to tie Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego up and throw them into the fiery furnace. And they did, but he says the fire was so hot that those who were throwing them in, they were burned to death. They were killed. And then it says, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound. They were tied up and they were bound. They were tied up and they fell in the middle of this furnace. Then look at verse 24. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astonished and he rose up in haste and spake. That means that Nebuchadnezzar was watching this. He was astonished. He stood up and he said to his counselors, didn't we cast three men into the midst of the fire? Didn't we count? Didn't we take three men, Shabrak, Mishra, Abednego, and bind them and tie them up and throw them into the fire? And they said, true, O king. Then he answered and said, but I see four men and they're not bound, but they're loose and they're walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Hallelujah. Nebuchadnezzar, we, he said, we threw three men in, but I see four men. And not only that, they are not bound, but they're loose and they're walking around in the fire. And the fourth man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth man, he looks like the son of God. Hallelujah. Jesus himself came down into the fiery furnace and he untied them lose their bonds and although they were still in the fiery furnace these three men walked around praising God in that fiery furnace and they were unharmed and Jesus himself was in the fiery furnace with them walking around with them and that's why Nebuchadnezzar said we threw three men into the fiery furnace but I see four and the fourth one looks like the son of God. Hallelujah. My beloved, sometimes people go through different difficult situations and they think that they are walking through the fire. But the thing is that, you know, then they wonder when will God take me out of the fire? But sometimes God doesn't take you out of the fire, but he comes into the fire and walks with you in the fire and because he's walking with you you are not alone and your bonds are loosed and in the fire you can walk around and praise God and glorify God because he's walking with you and because he's walking with you you are free no evil can ever befall you or touch you hallelujah anyway then it says here I see and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and said, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whom the, whose bodies the fire had no power, not a hair of their hand, hair was singed. He said they were thrown to this fiery furnace, which killed their own soldiers, but the fire had no power upon them. They were not burned, neither they were, were their, was their hair singed, neither was their clothes 
burnt and the smell of fire didn't touch them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered angels and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king king's words and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve worship or serve any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and the houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, this ends our study of the Old Covenant. There's a lot more to be said, but I try to fit in whatever I could in 20 lessons but we are going to continue now we are not finished as yet we're going to talk about the new covenant we have spoken 20 lessons about the old covenant now we're going to go into the new covenant and uh, because the the foundations of the new covenant are in the old but the new covenant is different it's better it's greater but here's the thing i want you to i want to leave this thought with you if the old covenant was so wonderful why was there a need for a new covenant? And that's where we'll begin tomorrow. But let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the old covenant, but I thank you for the greater and better covenant that we have through the precious blood of Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are hearing my voice. I ask you to touch them, bless their lives. I thank you for life, salvation, healing, blessings, deliverance. All these things belong to us. I thank you, Father for every good thing that you've given us in Christ Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we will continue again tomorrow and I'll be seeing you. God bless you.